Fly low, take them. You have fun? That's good. Let's go home and make supper. Welcome to the ND Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to the NDO Podcast. On this episode, we have Brian Schaefer, our Hunter Ed Supervisor, and Jeff Long, our Outdoor Skills Coordinator. And then, of course, our hosts, myself, Kayla Bendel, and Casey Anderson. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the education efforts we have, some of our volunteers, um, and yeah, just some opportunities available to, to folks. So thanks for being on, guys. Thanks for having us. I guess we'll start with you, Brian, if you just want to give a brief kind of your background, how you ended up here and, and what your current role is. Yeah. How, how did you end up here from Pennsylvania? <laughs> well, I grew up hunting and fishing a lot in Pennsylvania and um, ended up coming out here to work for the Game of Fish as a seasonal after college and then... Uh, that led to graduate school, doing the wing tuttle deer research project, and just fell in love with the prairie and the people of North Dakota, and um, le- ended up leaving for a couple of years to work down in Kansas, doing some education and outreach work down there, and then was fortunate to come back here in 2015 um, and work for the department in the education section. Awesome. And what all does your role entail now? So I manage the Hunter Ed program, and... Um, large portion of that job is managing the educational standards of the program, um, keeping it up to date with international hunter ed standards, and then also managing our volunteer base of roughly 700 volunteers across the state of North Dakota. And you're not the only one from Pennsylvania we recruited in this department. There's at least one or two more. Nate. Nate's a Pennsylvania man. Yeah. Interesting. Lots of of game out here, so it's hard (laughs) to leave. (laughs) Open spaces and game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeff, outdoors, I had to look up what your title was, Outdoor Skills Coordinator. You do a lot of things, so. Yeah, I do a lot of things, and that title uh, seems to keep changing, so (laughs) it's hard for me to sometimes even know what my actual official title is, but uh, what I do basically is is, uh, I do a little bit of volunteer management, and I do work with uh, volunteers as well for my programs, but if it involves getting kids uh, out into the outdoors, uh, shooting a bow, catching a fish, Trapping, whatever it is, that's that's kind of my kind of my thing. So the the ones that you kind of oversee mainly in, are NASP. Yeah, NASP, the National National Archery in the Schools program, and then Hooked on Fishing, and then we also have the Trapper Ed uh, program, and then there's all the little things like the State Fair and the the Outdoor Wildlife Learning Site, Owl Site, as as people uh, have known it over the years, uh, which is where we do all of our uh, school. Uh, uh, school activities, like schools that want to come out and experience the outdoors, go fishing, things like that. We have a site, an interpretive site that they can come out and do that on. So, yeah. So I, I wear quite a few hats. <laughs> Your title is ambiguous enough that it lends itself to <laughs> other duties as assigned very Absolutely, easily, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I can add a program and remove a program. No one will ever yeah. know. Okay. So let's maybe talk about Hunter Ed to start with. Um, just... Just go into, Brian, I guess, what does that all entail? I mean, I'm, I've am i been a hunter head instructor, too, for, well, 21 years, I think. Pretty dang close to that, anyway. But um, kind of building the program, you know, and, like, if you want to be an instructor, those kinds of things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if someone wants to become an instructor, the easiest way to get started is to go to our website um, under the education tab and find the become a volunteer button, fill out the PDF. It's an application um, that starts the background screening um, and the educational process that we have for volunteers, the training process. Uh, we provide some online training and then some mentorship um, for them with some current Hunter Ed instructors, and then uh, we can get you going and um, involved in your community. It's just on an individual basis, a lot of times, how involved you want to be. Some jump in both feet right away. Um, some kind of slowly get into it. So um, we got something for everybody. If you want to get involved in the Hunter Ed program, we encourage you to, to you know seek us out and start that process, and we can figure out what works out for you and in your community. So um, we've got volunteers all over the state of North Dakota, um, roughly 750 of them teach between 250 and 300 courses a year. And so um, it's vastly volunteer-led, and it has been since its inception in the 1970s. And it's just an incredible testament that here, coming up next year, 2024, we're going to be hitting a quarter million graduates for the program. So that's a testament to all our volunteers out there um, and employees who help deliver that course statewide. So the let's maybe hit on... Who needs hunter ed? Yeah, anyone born after 1961, um, unless you're hunting on your own land um, or you're using the apprentice option for, for purchasing a license, you're required by state law to have hunter education. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you remembered that date. I've taught it for a long time, <laughs> and I still have trouble remembering that date. But essentially, if you're a young person, going to be 12, you're going to need it to buy a license. Correct. It's to buy or, purchase, or, buy or apply for a license yeah, okay. when you're 12. So that's not saying that you can't hunt before 12. Correct, yeah. There's no minimum age for hunting, um, specifically small and upland game here in North Dakota. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. If for some reason you're getting to that, you know, 12 years of age, um, we have the apprentice option as well. Or if you're a new adult hunter, we have that apprentice option available for, for new hunters. Um, but the best thing, if you run into a situation where you're running in on a deadline, just give us a call and we can we can try and get things figured out for you. You mentioned that apprentice license. Maybe, maybe exp- I guess I could explain it or you could explain it. How So that essentially is a license, a hunter ed waiver for one time to buy a license and try it out essentially to see if you want to sit through the, you know, go through the whole process to become an annually licensed hunter essentially. Correct, yeah. Hunter ed is anywhere between 12 and 14 hours and so... Um, <clears throat> the apprentice option gives someone that try it before they buy it type attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some restrictions. You need to be hunting with a licensed hunter and you need to be within verbal communication of those individuals. You can't go out there on your own and try and hunt. Um, so there's some, there's a control there still. Um, and we have quite a few people. I'm not sure the exact numbers every year that utilize that apprentice option. Mm-hmm. So with Hunter Ed, how, if somebody was interested in taking a course, what do they need to do? Uh, the best way would be get on our website and signed up for uh, the yeah the alerts alert system. I forget what it's called on the website, mm-hmm. but it's essentially you sign, put your cell phone number in there or your email address and select um, Hunter Education as one of the options. And what that'll do is shoot you a text or an email every time we list a class and it'll give you a direct link right to the one in your community. So um, majority of our classes happen from January through May, and that was just for the historical. Um, deer lottery in June, but with our youth tags being able to be purchased all the way up until September, um, besides the mule deer buck one, um, we started seeing more and more courses throughout the summer. So 
we still encourage people to take them as soon as they can, but we, we do have some flexibility now. Mm-hmm. And they could just go on our website and scroll through the class list too under our Hunter Ed tab. Correct. Yeah. And, um, you know, early in January, February, those classes fill up pretty quick in some locations across the state. Um, but we've had a lot of classes listed here the last couple of months and it seems like we're catching up from a couple of years ago and it seems like there's a lot more opportunity there for students. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of double down on that, it's mostly anyways, volunteer led. Um, it's kind of based on, on their availability and, and when they teach classes. Correct. Yeah. In some of our smaller towns, you know, a lot of our hunter ed instructors are involved in agriculture and they or coaches or teachers or whatever it may be. And some of those smaller communities, there's one class a year and it's built into the community schedule. And, mm-hmm. and so you may have to drive a little bit to get to a course. Um, but there are the, if you run into a situation where that didn't work for whatever reason, best is best call is to give us a call at the education section. and We can try and figure some things out for you. Mm-hmm. I know in, in Turtle Lake we do ours like in March, and I think it's that's when I took it yeah. <laughs> in March. And, and like come about second week of February, I'm starting to get phone calls. <laughs> so yeah. like if I ever moved that month, oy, <laughs> throw the whole a, system yeah, off. It's small town North Dakota. That mm-hmm. seems like that's the it's always the second week in March or whatever yep. it is. Yeah, it's pretty common. And this winter was a little challenging, but. Absolutely. We had a lot of classes that started in February and they're, you know, just getting finished up now. They've had to cancel two or three times because of blizzards and travel mm-hmm. restrictions. And so it's, it's been a challenging winter for Hunter Ed. Absolutely. It's been challenging for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk about some of the trends, obviously uh, COVID kind of kickstarted us into some, um, some other alternative models um, and just kind of the trends in Hunter Ed across the nation and how we still have, um, some in-class requirements, though, through our, our legislature. Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we have two options for Hunter Ed here in North Dakota. We have our traditional courses, which, which is what most volunteers deliver, which is all-in-person, 14-hour course. Um, and we've had a home study course for better part of a decade, maybe 15 years. And um, that was always just a handful of courses across the state. And then COVID really drove a lot of online learning. Um, education has changed drastically, um, probably in the last 10 or 15 years, I spoke with my stepkids and asked them where their textbooks were and we don't have textbooks. We have Chromebooks. Um, so they're missing out. Yeah. The book covers and the paper bags from the grocery store. Um, yeah, it's our online vendor. Um, Calcum has done a great job keeping up with all of the online learning. There's actually been some research done that students are, out of the three types of um, learning, a traditional course, a hybrid course, which is what we have where we still have in-person learning, um, and then an all-online course, a lot of states went to that. We did not. Um, the highest test scores are actually coming out of those hybrid hybrid courses where students are doing some in-person, the gun handling, all of that, and then going home and doing the um, online, the core of the content online. And kids learn well that way. Um, there's, they cover a bunch of different types of learning types and the standardized message across the board that every kid, the kid from Bowman to Grand Forks, gets the same message in that eight or 10 hour course. So um, that's really been jump started the last couple of years, not just here in North Dakota, but nationwide. Um, and it's, it's a great program. Kids, kids retain that material. And, and so, you know, the parents are liking that. Um, any instructor you talk to sees the problems with trying to get six, seven nights students in in a classroom for two or three hours um kids just seem to be busier and busier all the time 
And so it really helps alleviate some of that. And so we actually see most of our demand from our parents that they want those hybrid courses that we provide. So um, Hunter Ed is just one of those things that's going to need to continue to adapt, not only for educational standards, but also for the way we deliver our courses. And um, we're very fortunate here in North Dakota. A lot of states um, are struggling with delivering courses, especially after COVID. Um, and we never really missed a beat. Um, so we're very fortunate. And those hybrid are really nice for new adult hunters too, obviously trying to balance work schedules and kids of their own. And Correct. Yeah, I just taught a couple here in Bismarck last month. And I would say over half the classes were, of the participants were adults. So um, kids and work, yeah, it, it definitely makes it easier. And then um, I guess just following, you know, it's, it's more than, than Hunter Ed. Uh, you know, after that, um, I think it's important that they have some mentorship afield. You know, it doesn't just end after the class ends. Yeah, absolutely. I always say to new hunters that it's important that you find someone with similar values and morals um, to hunt with. Um, Hunter Ed is background information. We're teaching people the background of wildlife conservation, the background on firearm safety. Um, we're making sure they're proficient firearm handlers but handling, um, handling firearms in a classroom in an educational setting is drastically different than out in the field when emotions are running high, you're cold, um, you're walking uneven terrain. And so I think it's important just because you graduate hunter ed, that doesn't mean it's over. Um, finding someone who is a proficient firearm handler and someone who's going to kind of keep an eye on you. Um, I've seen it with my own kids. Hunter ed doesn't mean you're ready to go out there on your own. Um, you need to do things a couple hundred to a thousand times before you become proficient at it. And I would say that kind of leads into something else, too, that I've noticed the last few years. I was very fortunate to grow up in a very rural setting. Um, spent a lot of time hunting, shooting, I mean, in my backyard. And a lot of times kids now, they're taking hunter ed. That's the first time they're handling a firearm. And mm -hmm. whereas when I was a kid, it seemed like by the time you were taking hunter ed, you were ready to go. Like you had been shooting a twenty two for five, six years before you were taking hunter ed. So, um you see it here, people don't think about it in North Dakota, but I would say our population is becoming more and more urban all the time. And those opportunities for those kids to be shooting and handling firearms, um, I would say, is definitely lower than it was 20 years ago. And so one of the good things you do see in a lot of these situations are kids that are participating in shooting sports. Mm -hmm. That's where they really develop some of those skills before they ever go out in the field. So um, just other things, if you're taking a new hunter, whether it's an adult or a kid, is they're... Uh, the lack of experience handling firearms in the field is definitely something you need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's even gotten, you know, you say in the urban setting, there's more and more, but even in like Turtle Lake, that's still pretty rural. As the years have gone by, we always ask who's, who's hunted or who's, you know, shot 22s or whatever. And it's getting to be less and less, you know, even when, and even some of these people, I know their parents pretty well and they, they shot and hunted probably before they had hunter ed, but their kids aren't doing it, whether it's just life's so busy that they're, you know, dad doesn't hunt as much as he used to or whatever, and so it just kind of fizzles out. But, but yeah, it's interesting, but it's really fun to have that one kid who really wants, there's nothing he wants more than to <laughs> pass that class, man, because he wants to go hunting so bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It seems like you have one of those in every class that, mm -hmm. Might not necessarily like going to school, but they yeah. like going to Hunter Ed every Wednesday night mm -hmm. or Tuesday night, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
And how often do you have kids in there that are in tears or just about in tears right before you give them the test? Oh, oh absolutely. There, there's it's a there, there's a high anxiety level in there for those kids because, yeah. I mean, shaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Watery eyes. You got to get a ninety percent. Freak out. <laughs> like you tell me, you got to get a ninety percent. It's like, no, this isn't school. This is ninety percent. You're getting an A or you ain't going. Yeah. I had a kid tell me one time, I've never gotten ninety percent in my life. How am I going to get a ninety percent on this? Yeah, yeah. And he was and one of the best, probably best did, students, yeah. 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 Yep. yep. Which is bad for the parents because now they know they can do it, right? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're capable of this. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the International Hunter Education Association, and they're kind of the ones that work to make sure that our hunter ed cert- certification is good in other states too, kind of keeping everything general in that way, in that sense. Correct. Yeah, they standardize the the standards for hunter ed across the country, um, actually internationally. So, um, we they review our programs and make sure they're up to par. Um, they do give us some flexibility to cater to North Dakota specific content. You know, a chapter or two. Um, like I know in Montana, they do stuff with grizzly bears, and so we have the opportunity to tailor some of our course to North Dakota specific information. But if you take hunter ed in North Dakota, it's valid in any state or Canadian province. So. Mm-hmm. They oversee all of that, the learning standards for that purpose. And ours is probably the best one if you want to come over and take it. Absolutely. And just to alleviate a few phone calls for Amber, if you took it in North Dakota, you can go online to your account and get a copy of your card. Correct. Yeah, it's <laughs> where you go into our online account and where you would apply for your deer license, scroll down to your certification tab, click on that, and that'll pop up a digital copy of your Hunter Ed card. You kind of touched on this before, but um, selfishly, from an R3 perspective, too, I think you see a lot of kids, yeah, we talked about not having firearm experience, and they take this kind of with the intention of deer hunting, but um, a little bit lost is just, yeah, that small game hunting before deer hunting, and, and even we get a lot of complaints, of course, that after the, the youth, um, the couple of youth tags, they, they get thrown into the, the regular lottery and maybe can't draw a deer tag in the unit they'd like to every year, um, but kind of losses taking kids small game hunting and just the exposure that that has, the the love for the outdoors that it creates, um, even though it's maybe not our strong North Dakota deer hunting heritage, but still a good opportunity. Absolutely. It's uh, where I grew up in Pennsylvania. Our seasons are structured a little different. So it's like October, you hunt small game. The first part of November, you bear hunt and, and deer season opens. And so everything's very structured. Um, our seasons aren't as wide open as they are here. And um, so there's a very strong small game hunting tradition there. And, you know, I've hunted North Dakota for, for cottontail rabbits. And if you know what to look for, the right type of habitat, you're going to have world-class cottontail hunting opportunities. And, and you know, I've seen it with my own stepson, stepdaughter, you know, whether it's morning doves, cottontails, or squirrels, they just want to be out there. And the thing to remember when you're taking kids or a new hunter um, – specifically cottontails and and squirrels, teaching somebody how to move through the woods and how to shoot in the field, there's no better tool than that. Um, I rarely run into other hunters, and typically if they are other squirrel hunters, they work here. Um, (laughs) Ron Wilson. Yeah, Ron Wilson. He hasn't run into me yet. (laughs) But if you want to teach someone how to to be a better deer hunter uh, and be more successful in the field when you're deer hunting, taking them out there to hunt squirrels and rabbits is a great way to do that. And it gets them that experience handling the firearm as well. And I think there's opportunities all over, all over the state. Um, if you're willing to look for it, I've been deer hunting out in the badlands and found pockets of cottontails 
Um, and so I really encourage people with new hunters um, to take them out and try those different things. And, and even for the seasoned big game hunter, it's nice sometimes to take grandpa's shotgun out and, and shoot a few cottontails or some squirrels. They make great table fare, and it's just a great way to spend time outside in North Dakota. And I think, too, you hit on it. There's, it's just less competition. You know, for for places to get on or what that whatever that might be, but it's also a lot less pressure. Yeah, it's you know, uh, nobody cares if you miss a cottontail. I I asked a landowner one time if I could hunt doves in their canola field, and they asked me why would you want to do that? Like, yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah. and you know it's a it's a fairly limited window for doves, but you know we have a very strong opportunity for wing shooting here in North Dakota, and to start off the season. Um, there's no better way to start a hunting season, in my opinion, than dove hunting. Very relaxed. You there's can wear shorts. no more humbling way to start off <laughs> yeah. hunting season. Though. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's it's definitely an underrated activity here in North Dakota. So, lastly, on hunter ed, if somebody wants to be a hunter ed instructor, just get a hold of us, right? Yeah, you yeah. can give us a call or just go online under the volunteer tab, education tab, and then become a volunteer. Um, there's a PDF on there. You can fill it out, um, si- sign it, send it to us digitally, or mail it to us. Address is on there, and that just starts this, the, the process for that whole program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of squ- uh, switching gears to Jeff, I think uh, Hunter Ed volunteers get a lot of our attention, but we have a, a lot of other volunteers that help out with, um, for sure, some fishing stuff, help us out at the state fair. Um, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> Trapper Ed program as well. Yeah. So you do a couple of fishing camps each summer, one in Devil's Lake and one, where's the other one? So I'm involved in two of them, like myself, but there is three or four of them that the um, uh, volunteer organization, Lumen for Life, uh, is involved in or, or partially responsible for, or at least from, from the volunteer perspective. Uh, but, but yeah, I do, I do one in June that's a, a partnership with the National Guard, and that's uh, for military kids uh, whose parents are on deployment. I don't even know if they have to be on deployment, but a lot of them are. And, uh, and then another one that's an open enrollment um, camp in Devil's Lake, yeah. And so your goal with those, Jeff, just to, I mean, obviously it's probably not for necessarily my boys who fish quite a bit, but it's really to get people introduced to it. Yeah, it's to get people introduced to it, but there are a fair amount of kids who who actually do know how to fish that like to go on, you know, like mm-hmm. to go to these things. It's just what they do, right? Uh, and and we look at that as you know, you're just you're just strengthening strengthening their skills. And we're not just fishing; we're doing shore cl- what we call shore classes. So things like uh, the obvious things like filleting, um, cooking, even. But then there's other things like loot, uh, like spinner making, or uh, not to uh, not tying is an obvious one, but we do a whole bunch of different ones. Jig painting, anything that has to do with yeah, making tackle, fixing tackle. We just do a basic rod and reel kind of. Here's how you string up a rod and reel class. You know, mm-hmm. here's here's why you use a bait caster versus a spinner, that kind of stuff. So so we do that about half the day, and the other half is fishing. And then uh, unless it's raining or the wind's blowing, then it's all day on shore. Mm-hmm. I could so. just send my so boys. So all the time in Devil's Lake? Or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could just send my boys to the flaying section. That might help. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of neat, too, because you end up with all these different volunteers with different experience. And just within the last year or so here, someone came in and, and kind of showed a different way to fillet. And that has now turned into what the volunteers, at least in that group, they're all kind of converting over to this different way of filleting. And, mm-hmm. and, and I watched it done. I've done a little bit of it, and it, 
it's pretty interesting. It works really well, and it, it's kind of like this, the, the new thing now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you do learn new things even as an adult. Yeah. And then on the NASP, so National Archery in the Schools program side of things, I guess we don't really consider them like volunteers per se, but you essentially train um, teachers how to teach the kids NASP. Right, and, and actually now, uh, as the program has grown and the after-school component, the, uh, the tournament kind of side of it has grown, now I'm actually training an, an equal percentage, sometimes a little, little bit more, uh, like parent volunteers, um, community volunteers, someone that's just interested in archery that has been asked to come in and help uh, with the after-school program. So actually, our, there is a pretty, pretty strong, um, true volunteer component Compared to, yeah, with the teachers, they're getting paid, some of them. Yeah. They're not always after school. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so they can be volunteers, too. How many schools do we have involved in that now? Do you know off the top of your head? You know, I, I have I can only estimate because I have to go based on reports. And while there is a requirement to report, it doesn't mean that they necessarily do that, especially mm-hmm. if they were trained a long time ago. Uh, my, my best guesstimate is somewhere in that 120 to 130 range actively doing it. It's been implemented in about 100 more than that. Uh, the big the big challenge is you get a teacher in there, he or she's pretty motivated, they start a program, and they leave. And then mm-hmm. it just depends on how that transition goes. You know, yeah. do, does the one coming in know about archery? Do they want to do archery? Or does the stuff wind up in the closet, the equipment wind up in the closet before before mm-hmm. they ever get it going again? So, yeah. yeah. The state shoot is getting pretty big, and we just had that here. Yep, we had that back in March, uh, and we had – uh, basically back to pre-COVID levels, um, maybe even a few more. So we kind of got set back for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I was even a little worried going into this year thinking, man, maybe this, maybe it's just never going to come back. <laughs> I don't know. And it kind of came at the last minute. You know, we opened everything up, and it was kind of slow at first. And, and all of a sudden, I looked, and, our, and I started getting calls. Mm-hmm. And our, uh, our 3D was completely full, and we had 100 kids waiting. And it's like... Oh, I hear it. I didn't think we even come close, and we sold yeah. it out. So, uh-huh. yeah. Hmm. yeah. And you said it's kind of um, like urban schools are kind of underrepresented at that. Yeah, tournament? very underrepresented. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, the week after we did our, our state tournament, we kind of did a special tournament over in West Fargo, just to kind of showcase the program and, and bring that opportunity to that to that uh, to that area, and with the specific goal of trying to get a few of those kids going on it. Because once mm-hmm. they get a taste, then they want to do more of it. Yeah. So. And we have some opportunities if schools are interested. Obviously, you you hold trainings, but we also have some grant dollars for kind of getting the equipment or getting it started. Yeah, so there's a combination of grants. We have a state grant that's available that 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 uh, provides cost share for getting that initial startup kit, which is about thirty three hundred dollars. And then yeah, and then they just need to attend the training class. Mm-hmm. So speaking of shooting sports, the the trap shooting. Youth trap shooting is really kind of blown up. I don't, maybe, I don't know which one of you wants to talk to that, maybe. But um, I know we've got one pretty well going in, in Turtle Lake now, and that shoot's getting to be, that state shoot's almost too big for for the facilities. Yeah, I think that's starting to be the problem in a lot of these communities, too, the where this has taken off. It's, a, it's an activity that you could be the starting quarterback on a football team or you could be... Um, don't play any sports at all, and everybody can go out there and compete for shooting traps. It's kind of like the NAS program. Anyone can do it um, and be successful at it. Not mm-hmm. only be, you know, just not just participate, but you can be really good at it. Um, and so it's it's an opportunity for a lot of youngsters out there to get involved in the shooting sports and 
Um, it seems like we, we hear more and more that the only problem with that program is we don't have enough trap houses. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of these gun clubs in some of the smaller towns kind of getting some growth coming back towards mm-hmm. them where they were kind of dwindling there for, for a couple decades. And um, it's really, really taken off in, in some of our bigger cities and then also across rural parts of the state as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be going down there to Horace here in, in June, and I've heard it's quite the show. And um, <laughs> they're eventually probably going to have to do something else to find more yeah. facilities or break it up into an east and a west or whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, that's a program that has drastically, drastically taken off here the last few years. Mm-hmm. And we do have a grant program for for equipment and things, whether it's trap equipment or some of that stuff as well, right? We have a startup grant for schools interested in starting yeah. a team. I, I, I mean, I'm sure not every school. I do think it's kind of made its way around because um, we don't allow, like, it's just to start one up. So if yeah. a school already has the program, then they, they're not eligible for the grant. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of schools have already received that. Um, and then kind of in lieu of, we give a, a pretty decent chunk to that state tournament um, to kind of, we couldn't possibly provide every school the grant dollars for their ammo and facility mm-hmm. fees, uh, things like that, just because, yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't have enough. So kind right. of in lieu of that, we give a, a donation to the state tournament. Um, but we do have shooting range grants, right. I guess, in terms of like a, a local range kind of trying to amp up their facilities a little mm-hmm. bit to accommodate that um, for sure. You know, and Brian kind of brushed up against this a little bit, and I want to highlight it a little bit more. He was talking about the quarterback versus, you know, he's kind <laughs> of a – the, uh, the 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 number for and this goes for both the uh, archery program and the and the, and the, any of the sheet, these shooting sports school related programs is it, it's not not only to, that it is available to just about any kid but w- but you're bringing all these different groups of kids together that don't normally come together like mm-hmm. you don't normally see maybe you know maybe those football players hanging around with you know I, I don't know the chess club kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> however you want to put yeah. it, but they, it brings them together. And that's actually something that administrators have noticed and said, Hey, I, this is what I, and, and teachers too, PE mm-hmm. teachers, whoever it is have said, I like that it brings together these non-traditional groups, groups of kids. Mm-hmm. And in some cases brings also kids that don't fit into the other things and gives them something to do that is cool enough for a football player to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And, and part of the reason why these things are so popular. And the benefit of the, the shooting sports, too, is, you know, if you start doing it when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, whether it's NASP or the Clay Target League, um, there's a lot of great youth programs out there that go all the way through high school. And then I remember walking off the football field or the baseball field for my last time as mm-hmm. a senior in high school knowing I wasn't going to play in college. That was kind of a tough pill to swallow. But when I was down in Kansas, I shot a lot of sporting clays in five stand, and I was standing next to guys that were in their 80s still out there on Wednesday night shooting mm-hmm. clay targets. So it's something you can do for a lifetime. You can do it with your family. You can do it with your friends. Um, it, it really is a great opportunity that you can continue to do your entire life. So mm-hmm. um, There's even some college clay target leagues. I know yeah. the the USA Clay Target League is – I don't know what all schools or how popular it is, but, Yeah. And my oldest son said something about maybe I should get a scholarship in trap shooting. And I was like, <laughs> well, you're going to need a little more practice. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they are low-hanging fruit. There's a lot of those kids that are now proficient with firearms and have not been introduced to hunting or do not come from a hunting family. So um, I'm always trying to pitch to our like local uh, wildlife clubs or NGO chapters and things like that. It's a great group of kids to target. Um, you already know they're 
hopefully safe and then somewhat proficient with firearms. So um, they make great uh, hunting recruits, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's always a tough ask from either side. I've always, you know, I've worked in this segment of hunting and recruitment for a while now. And that's one thing the mentors always struggle with. Like, who do I ask? How do I make that ask? Whether it's a coworker or a friend's kid, um, or if you're the one looking for a mentor, that's an awkward conversation to have. And the fact that a youngster or someone else is proficient with a firearm, you know, they're out there sh in the participating in shooting sports, like having that aspect down where they, they have the basic knowledge and some fundamentals down, that makes it a lot easier to say, hey, why don't you join us to go duck hunting this weekend? Um, that just relieves some of that stress as if you're going to be the mentor, having someone who's confident with a firearm at least. And then, you know, they, they're proficient and they're going to probably have a more positive experience in the field than someone who this is the third time I've handled a shotgun um, now I'm walking through cattails and mm -hmm. dogs are running around. It's just a little overwhelming. So mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Those, those youngsters that are participating in those shooting sports are, that's a low hanging fruit for sure. Mm -hmm. So other volunteer, we have the state fair, which we run quite a few volunteers through and yeah, Jeff, that's you're pretty involved with that, but maybe give a hint on how that all works. Yeah. So that, it's about. We, we try to staff it up with, with we, we do, of course, want to give, uh, um, have a mixture of people there. We want to have some staff there available, too. Um, but I, I, I don't know if saying 50-50, but probably something like that. Close enough, anyway, uh, a mixture. And I want to say it's like 35 people per day. So uh, so it takes quite an effort. Uh, and there are, again, half of those being volunteers. Kind of depends on the day, too. On the weekends, we shoot for that. On the weekdays, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, we can run with a lot fewer people. But mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an effort that goes on for, is it nine and a half days every day of the fair, basically. And, uh, you know, we, we staff it with several different types of volunteers, but we have, a, we have a shooting range, we have an archery range, we have a fishing area, we have a trapping area. Uh, obviously, those volunteers with those specialties uh, will we'll kind of choose those areas, but we don't, they don't, we don't necessarily have to have a, um, a certified archery instructor necessarily go in to help at the archery mm -hmm. the archery booth so uh and the same goes for the other ones although you're probably gonna have a hard time talking to people about trapping if, if you don't trap right so <laughs> so there is a little bit needed to some degree but mm -hmm. uh but there's always a fishing dock and almost anybody can put a worm on a hook i always like mm -hmm. to say that so, yeah yeah and they just have to be essentially certified volunteers through our department Right, to be yeah, able to and if they're not, we'll just make them one. Mm -hmm. So right. either way, yeah, we get we get new volunteers up there every year. Mm -hmm. We're always looking for volunteers for the fair. Right, and it's kind of unique. You can, I mean, we give opportunity to come up there and go to the fair for a while, and then volunteer for the afternoon. Essentially, is now how we run it. Right. So the hours are one to seven. So mm -hmm. uh, if you were going to come up for a couple of days, um, we we even we even have hotel rooms that will. Which, and we're just asking you for what is it seven hours worth of work mm -hmm. and yeah so a lot of people do turn this into a little little family event they'll come up the kids will maybe swim in the pool or go over to the go to the fair and walk around well you know in the morning and then the uh, adult parent volunteer will come over and work for us for for a few hours in the evening or in the afternoon and evening mm -hmm. oh. At the hunting station, you just have to know how to unjam pellet guns. Right. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's a gunsmith, come on out. <laughs> okay. uh, which I'm not good at, I found out <laughs> last year. <laughs> uh, just one more, I guess, in terms of getting getting people outdoors, one more opportunity I know is a little underutilized is that we have uh, access to a track chair that folks can rent out. 
Yeah. So for I, a number of years, I'm going to say 10 years now, we had a, or 10 years ago, we had a, a track chair, which is a, how do you describe that? It's a wheelchair with mm-hmm. tank tracks yeah. on it, yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, to, to allow uh, uh, people, individuals with, with mobility issues or challenges to get out into the field and do a variety of different things. Uh, there, there's a fellow last year that, that uh, he, he uses it uh, on and off throughout the year, but he shot his, he got, got his North Dakota moose last year. Um, they use that chair uh, and people use it for pheasant hunting. You know, the one thing that we don't get a lot of use is in the spring. We've never had anyone go turkey hunting or take it fishing. It's just yeah. kind of been a, a fall, more of a fall big game or pheasant hunting kind of thing. But it, it is available any time of the year and for a variety of different activities. And can you get it stuck or is it pretty good? It's Go pretty good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. it really is. <laughs> All right. Um, otherwise, I just want to touch on you guys have some personal experience getting kids or other people outdoors. Any uh, good stories, general tips? General tips. You know, I... I, I, there is a story about my son when he first started hunting. Uh, it was going to be his first. It would be it would have been his first hunt. It was a turkey hunt, spring. And actually, we may have gone in the fall, but this is the first spring hunt. And it's kind of a big deal. We went down to the management area. There were birds. We went out the night before and 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 called, and we got it immediately called back. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is this could be a slam dunk. So we go down there in the morning. Well, my daughter, we go home. My daughter. She, who's a few or a couple years younger, wants to go. Now he's just barely old enough. She wants to go real bad, and I'm thinking, no, man. But how can I tell her no? Mm-hmm. So I, I tell her, hey, you know, we got to wake up when it's dark and go outside. It's going to be cold and dark and wet. And okay, really building it up. Yeah, really building <laughs> it up. Because I, I wanted her to wait a couple years and then take her no. But anyway, she just demanded, nope, nope, I want to go. And she was. She was really good. We got out there, and we started calling, and it took a long time. We finally got these birds to respond and come in. I, what I didn't know was she had fallen asleep to my calling, which is amazing. And uh, <laughs> not my calling, the fact she could fall asleep, yeah. right? But these birds were dumb, and they came in anyway. And uh, I got my son on a, on a chair, and, and he, <laughs> it gets to the point you know, where it's, okay, go ahead and shoot it. And he shoots. And he falls off the dang chair and lands on my daughter, who's dead asleep after a gun going off. And, oh, my, she woke up crying. It was a whole thing. So, <laughs> it's just I didn't expect to see him go flying off a chair. You know? So it scared him a little bit, but we all had a good time. And, yeah, that was, mm-hmm. that was, that was kind of fun. Yeah, one, one thing I always think of is, and I've done it a few times um, because I teach Hunter Ed, you know, and you never know if these kids are going to have an opportunity to go or not. I usually don't tell the kids that I'll take them out because the parents will probably get harassed until no end. But I always try to tell the parents if they're, you know, if their kid is interested, just to give me a call and there might be a chance I can get them out or me and my brothers can get them out or something. And so, you know, just plant that seed if you're interested in being a mentor. You know, you, you talked about Brian that it's a little bit. It's a, approaching somebody, you know, to do that, but it's it's more I put it in the parents' court, and I've had a few take me up on it, you know, and it's been a real real interesting and fun way to introduce somebody to outdoors. I always talk about it. It's like taking a, you know, a two-year-old outside. It's like everything is cool, you know, and it kind of <laughs> makes you, you realize all the stuff you just pass by, you know, and don't and don't take time to appreciate, but... Yeah, and it's uh, 
kind of going off that, it, it doesn't take much to provide a mm-hmm. opportunity for a youngster. And, you know, I was very fortunate. My dad was a school teacher, so we got to hunt a lot as kids. And, and a lot of his friends took me under their wing if he didn't know how to do something. And kind of hit home when I was dating my wife. Um, I took her son, who was all about the outdoors, just all he wanted to do was hunt fish. And so it, that was a pretty easy sell to him and kind of hit home how fortunate I was as a, as a young man having my dad and his buddies. But we were walking out after an evening of during the youth deer season, and he's 11 years old at the time, and he's walking out. I hear him say to his mom, you know, Mom, I'm really glad you're dating Brian because otherwise I wouldn't get to go deer hunting. And it's like kid living in Bismarck, mm-hmm. you know, at 11 years old was able to comprehend that and make th- put those things mm-hmm. together. And so just every kid's a little bit different. Um my stepdaughter wanted nothing to do with shooting, wanted nothing to do with hunting or fishing. Um, but now she's just in, as involved. It just took mm-hmm. a little bit longer. And uh, I knew she was hooked last year. She had a pronghorn doe tag. And we got permission on a on a piece of property um, in the unit. And we crawled out on this herd of pronghorn. I mean, there was probably 25 or 30 of them bedded on the side hill and trying to communicate with a new hunter which one which one we need to shoot, <laughs> you know, with a doe tag. We're pretty picky mm-hmm. here. And, and uh, she's an incredible shot. Uh, spent a lot of time with range. And and uh, I was like, all right, whenever you're ready, you know, squeeze the trigger. And she's super focused, and she shoots, and, and that bullet hit like three feet over the top of that prong <laughs> on the side hill. And I'm like, just how, how, did, how did you miss? Like, she's way better than this. And they run off. I'm like, maybe the bullet hit the pronghorn and skipped up a little bit, whatever. And we watch them run for four or 500 yards, and none of them <laughs> fell over. And I looked over at her, and I was like, did that feel good? And she, no, it didn't feel good. I was like, well, what happened? She goes, I just got too excited, and I closed my eyes and pulled the trigger. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've been there. You know, so you can't get frustrated at that. But um, just every kid or every new hunter, it's a very personal experience mm-hmm. in trying to cater Try and step back into how you handle it as a youngster. Just try and keep that in mind, you know. You're probably not going to be able to go as far back in as you normally like to do or hunt the way you normally like to hunt. But um, at some point, we all need to realize in our hunting career that it's not about us Mm -hmm. um, because somebody took you out. And I know for a fact I ruined lots of my dad's hunts when I was was a kid. (laughs) Um, And he reminds me of that all the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's probably more rewarding taking someone else out than it is now at this point in my life than me me pulling the trigger or catching that mm-hmm. fish so um definitely encourage people to to make that effort yeah yeah i think i'm talking to future kayla so she remembers this but i've been told or heard a lot like and i know that it worked for me but like you said just not making it about you um you know you could be in the blind and the turkeys are gobbling but if uh, the youngsters cold or bored or not having fun. Um, I think it's time to go home. Like if you mm-hmm. kind of just force it down their throats or make it about you, I think it becomes less fun. So I know my dad took things soft with me or, um, you know, sometimes we went in and got a hot chocolate at the gas station instead, or maybe we stayed at a hotel instead of camped or, or whatever, um, just to make it comfortable for me. Um, and now of course it worked and I'm hooked and unfortunately sleeping in sleeping bags when it's zero degrees but um that's just not what it's about in the beginning so yeah one thing we've learned is snacks (laughs) dirt that's all you need snacks and dirt (laughs) (laughs) then it's just fun after that yeah what better what goes together together better than skipping rocks and fishing Mm -hmm. we we have some 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 volunteers that that 
kind of get a little upset or maybe a little less than patient, I guess, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or, or parents that come out, teachers, whatever, with the fishing out here and at our, at our owl's pond. And they're, they're concerned because they're throwing rocks. And it's like, let them throw rocks. Yeah. It's, it's fine. <laughs> maybe it'll it's chase fine. the fish over to the other guys, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's okay. You know, they can mm-hmm. fish for a little bit and they can go run around, play in the dirt, yeah. throw a rock. Do whatever, explore, mm-hmm. and then maybe fish a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my o- oldest son's first turkey hunting trip, he didn't get to carry a gun. I always made the boys just come with. If they wanted to come with, you're just going to come with, see if you can do the walk-in and stuff before I end up carrying your gun halfway across the countryside, you know, the next year. But just so they get a taste of it. And my oldest son still remembers this. He swears he found a dinosaur fossil in a rock somewhere in the Badlands where we were turkey hunting, you know, and it. He could walk you right to that rock right now, I think, still. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too. Um, it may not seem like a big deal. You know, a squirrel mm-hmm. hunting or cottontails or catfishing or whatever it is. is Like, you look back on your childhood, and there's certain memories that are just ingrained in your in your mind forever. Mm-hmm. And I could, ta- I could take you right to this the oak tree that I shot my first squirrel out of with my dad. You know, and that was in the late 90s, and it's like... Certain memories, you know, that certain smells, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but those hunting memories with my dad, I could, I could walk you right back to that tree. No doubt about it. (laughs) My wife always makes fun of me because there'll be, I'll have a skull or something in the house, you know, and I can tell you where I was, who was there, what it smelled like. Well, I'll tell you what, I meet somebody on the street and I'll never remember their name for 30 (laughs) seconds after they walk away, you know, and she's like, how do you remember all that? And then that just disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for being on, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We'll get into our department droppings. Um, not sure quite when this is going to air, but the deer lottery will open in May, and the deadline for that will be June 7th. So um, lots of reminders about that usually come in from us, but um, it might be a few less mm-hmm. tags this year, but still opportunities um, if you're kind of willing to, to be flexible. Yeah, and then we'll be kind of wrapping up probably turkey season by the time this comes out. But um, if you're out and about, there'll probably still be some cruddy roads and muddy roads. And so people just pay attention and not rip up roads where they're, when they're out and about checking things out, whether you're trying to get to a fishing spot or whatever you're trying to do. And then we are running Fish Challenge again. So we did that last year, but starts May 1st um, through August 15th. So last year you had to catch uh, northern pike, smallmouth bass, catfish, and yellow perch. Um, if you didn't, if you missed out on that or you didn't complete it, um, we're calling it like the original challenge. So that's still available if you want to take that challenge. Um, and then we're also offering a new uh, sport fish challenge. So you have to catch a trout. A bass, so it could be smallmouth, largemouth, or white bass. A walleye and a bluegill. Um, so you have from May 1st to August 15th. Um, you submit your photos online, and then we'll give you a certificate and a sticker if you complete the challenge. Yeah, and just a reminder to get your boat registration before you go out and take the challenge. Because this is the year for boat registration, so... All right, now that we've... Thank you, Casey. Yeah, yeah, you better get it. Don't get out in the water. Get all ready to go and then not have your boat registration. So I, like, reviewed an email that Jackie sent about reminding people to get their boat registrations. Then I read, like, uh, our news release about, like, boat registrations due. Then I got the text at home, like, boat registrations are due. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I need- <laughs> I've been involved in, like, editing these things. But, I, yeah, apparently we need to remind people three times because I finally was like, I need, we need to renew our boat registration. 
I think it's been more than three, but <laughs> yeah. we'll get them eventually. I know the river's open, but I was up at the lake this morning, and there's no danger of uh, accidentally <laughs> going out yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've dropped the droppings, you can get off the pot and get outdoors.